Great loving Father, we really thank you for this amazing Easter that we come together under such extraordinary circumstances, but there is something that is worth rejoicing about. And we pray that you would help us to be overwhelmed with joy because of the cross and because of the empty tomb. Teach us, inspire us, lead us by your spirit as we open your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, because of the coronavirus epidemic, many of us will acquire new life skills. Some of us are learning to use video conferencing apps like Zoom. Uh, Others of us are finally signing up to Facebook, maybe having resisted for at least a decade or more. Uh, And most incredible of all, people are now learning to use less toilet paper. But one of the other life skills that we're learning at the moment is the ability to understand statistics. Politicians and celebrities are talking about flattening curves and numbers are being quoted left, right and centre. For example, as of this morning, 1.6 million people have been diagnosed with the virus and over half a million of them are in the United States. Get your head around that. The statistics we're seeing and the graphs that we're deciphering are all about humans, people like you and me. And while some of those statistics describe infection and recovery, there is one statistic that should never stop shocking, and that is the number of deaths. This morning, the global death toll of COVID-19 has now surpassed 100,000 people around the world. 100,000 people are now dead. And that number is set to grow much higher very soon. COVID-19 is a virus that has affected all of us in one way or another. But there's something more severe and something more prevalent than even this novel coronavirus. And that is death itself. Every human that lives will die. Think about it. Every human that lives will die. Everybody will have a birth certificate and a death certificate. Every human is infected with this death virus and there is no cure. And yet even though everyone's going to die, the good news is there is still hope. And that hope comes from Easter. And that hope comes from the empty tomb of Jesus. If you know anything about Jesus, you'll know about his unusual birth to the Virgin Mary, which we celebrate each Christmas. And you'll know about his death on the cross, which we remembered on Good Friday. And you also know about his resurrection from the dead, which we remember on Easter Sunday and we're remembering as well tonight. These were extraordinary events, but I think that they're a bit kind of, well, we're used to them, aren't we? Well, tell us about Christian things. Well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem to a virgin and died and then rose again and blah, blah, blah. But if you were amongst Jesus' closest friends and you were there that first Easter, if you witnessed his crucifixion in particular, then the events of Easter Sunday would have been shocking. One of those people was Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' closest friends. 
In chapter 19, we're told that Matthew, sorry, we're told that Mary Magdalene stood near the cross alongside Jesus' mother Mary and another Mary too. They were face to face with the brutal death of Jesus, whom they loved. And they would have been there as he breathed his last breath. And they would have seen his lifeless body taken down from the cross. They'd hoped for so much from this man. And yet now he was fully dead. And their hearts were broken. And Jesus was placed in a tomb and the tomb was sealed with a stone. And that's the way the Good Friday ends. And as Mary Magdalene tried to get over the trauma of that day, we read in John chapter 20, verse 1, that early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So she gets there in the dark, she arrives at the tomb, and just when she thought she could start to get over the trauma of Friday, here on Sunday morning she is shocked again because the stone that sealed the tomb had been removed. This sacred place of Jesus' burial has now been disturbed. It's been interfered with. It's been damaged. And if it wasn't shameful enough for Jesus to have been hanging there on a cross... We now see him suffering even more shame and indignity. Jesus appears at that point to Mary to be suffering more indignity. And so in verse 2, we read that she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. She tells Peter and most likely the Apostle John all of the things that she had seen and the way in which she'd been shocked by this news. I mean, what other reason could she come up with? Grave robbing was pretty common at the time and the linen and the spices were valuable. So you could see why she had assumed she put two and two together and say, there's been a robbery. And you could imagine she'd be thinking, how is it possible that Good Friday as it would become known, how could that day get any worse? How could we get more hurt? How could we be more shocked and traumatised? Well, it'd be hard to, wouldn't it? And so when Peter and the Apostle John heard the news, we read in verses 3 and 4 that Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now you may not realise this, but for a man in that time to run was a pretty shocking thing in and of itself. And so he was running. They were both running, which meant that they thought it was obviously really, really serious. They ran for their lives. And in this running race to the empty tomb, they didn't even stay together. They bolted there and John gets there first. And when he gets there, verse 5, we read that he stooped and looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. What John sees are the strips of linen that have been wrapped around Jesus' dead body. 
And I reckon he must have thought, uh, uh, I didn't expect to see that. He probably thought to himself, why would a grave robber unwrap the body and then let all the valuable spices fall out and then do such a nice job of tidying it all up and putting it back as it was? For John, that must have been a really strange twist in the plot of Jesus' life. But before he thought about it too much more, out of breath, I expect, Simon Peter arrives and he doesn't sort of just cautiously look and he just basically jumps right in. And that tells us a lot about Peter, who we know. And when he gets in there, we read verse 6 and 7 that Simon Peter arrived, he went inside and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Neat and tidy, which is really weird. And I think you would have to conclude that Jesus' body couldn't have been stolen. It just didn't make any sense given the evidence. Because a grave robber is not going to tidy up everything once they've got the loot any more than somebody who comes and and tries to run off with your precious silver at home is going to tidy things up before they neatly walk out the door and 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 brush their feet off at the really well next john jumps into the tomb next to peter and he sees what peter has seen all the grave clothes neatly arranged. And in verse 8, we read that then the disciple who had reached the tomb first... You see, John's actually not mentioning his name. Can you see that? If you haven't worked that out. He's the guy who wrote this stuff, right? But he's a little bit shy, so he's not using his own name. But the disciple who had reached it, But he's a faster runner than Peter, anyway. But he reached the tomb first. He also went in and he saw and believed. Simple. He sees it and he believes it. He sees the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus and he believes that Jesus is alive. See, this evidence showed him that Jesus had risen from the dead in a planned and ordered way. John believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Make no mistake. John the Apostle believed that Jesus rose from the dead. But even as he kind of reflected upon that, we are told here that they didn't actually realise that this was supposed to happen. It's a bit of a startling admission, really. Verse 9 says, For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. If I, if I was writing my gospel and I was putting my thing in it, I'd want to make it a little bit like, you know, um, you know whilst I, I had certainly assumed that that was going to be the case, I wasn't 100%. He just makes it clear and honest. And he says, until that point, they hadn't really put two and two together. It's odd, isn't it? They'd spent all this time with Jesus, and yet they hadn't realized he was going to rise from the dead. Three years with him. They would know him so well, but they didn't get that bit. Well, partly it must have been because they didn't really understand the Old Testament that well. They were the scriptures that they all had there. You know, we've got a Bible that's got a big slab of the Old Testament and then the New Testament. They had just the Old Testament. That was their Bible. Did he tell them that Jesus was going to rise from the dead? Well, yes. So, for example, Psalm 16, verse 10 says, For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Oh, they only had to get through 16 of the 150 Psalms to get to that bit. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah. Or maybe it was Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, which says, After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us. 
that we may live in his presence. Or maybe Isaiah 53:11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. That was our reading from yesterday, from Good Friday. Maybe they're those three verses, or maybe it's just kind of the vibe of the Old Testament that the Messiah would die but would come to life. But either way, John looks back on his own experience of seeing the empty tomb and he encourages us also to join the dots because the Old Testament revealed the revelation. And this is important because if God had not raised Jesus from the dead, then we'd have every reason to doubt that he'd raise a sinner like you or me. That's the point of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, where he said, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. If we were able to somehow find some bones that had turned into stuff that was now, you could go and look at it with DNA testing and things like that, and you were able to say, oh, look, here are the remains of Jesus of Nazareth, then this is all a big fraud. And you should be watching something else. You should be looking at cat videos on Facebook, not looking at church, because this is just a silly waste of time. But because he is raised from the dead, it means our faith is not useless and we are no longer guilty of our sins. And this is why Easter Sunday is such an important day for us. Easter Day is a day of celebration, of joy. Well, we read next what happens. That in verse 10, Peter and John head back to their homes, but Mary remained at the tomb. Verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb, obviously hadn't gone in yet, and she was crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. Obviously, she hasn't spoken to Peter yet because he wouldn't have said, ah, you wouldn't have believed what, he's just nicked off. She still thinks that Jesus' body has been stolen by robbers, and so she cries. In many ways, it's the most logical response. Tears, sadness. And as she weeps, she bends over and looks inside the tomb for the first time. And there she gets the shock of her life. Because in verse 12, we read that she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. It... uh, As if her day couldn't get any weirder, yeah? (laughs) Right before her eyes were two heavenly messengers dressed in white, standing at the very place where Jesus' body originally was. She meets two angels. Wow. (laughs) If you meet an angel, you won't forget it. And so something very very special must have happened. Because, you know, usually only angels come in the history of the world when something very significant happens. You know, all the angels come to say Jesus is going to be born, remember that? And then the, and right here we've got angels at at the resurrection, the empty tomb. And these angels say something to Mary. And they say, verse 13a, Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Now, it's hard to know exactly what the angels were asking Mary because we don't have any clues from the tone of their voices. You know, they could be trying to be sympathetic, like they're sort of saying, Oh, Mary, why are you crying, you poor thing? Don't be so sad. 
you need to start to move on from the trauma of Friday. You need to get over your grief. Maybe that's what the angels were saying. And you can understand it, can't you? But I suspect that it's actually more a genuine question that the angels are actually saying to woman, saying to, to, to Mary, woman, why on earth are you crying? You know, don't you get it? The tomb is empty because Jesus has risen from the dead. This is not a time for tears. This is a time for cheers. You see, Mary is witnessing the evidence that Jesus has conquered sin and death. Here's the proof that those who believe in Jesus will now escape the judgment that leads to hell. Here's the evidence that Jesus has had victory over the grave. But Mary didn't expect Jesus to rise. It wasn't like she's thinking, Good Friday, well, Easter Sunday, what's that going to be like? We'll just have to wait and see. I've got a bit of a hunch. No, nobody. Full of tears. She thinks that, well, here's what she says. She says, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. If you've gone to a grave of a loved one, you'll know that whilst what you're seeing is no longer the person because their spirit has left the body, there is still something sacred about that sight. I know some of you who go and visit the graves of those you've loved and have passed away. And there's some comfort and solace to be able to stand there and be in that place, that place where you remembered the, the, the coffin going down into the grave and the dirt being put on top. And so if you happen to turn up for your weekly visit to the grave or your annual visit to the grave and you saw that it had been desecrated, that someone had smashed up the tomb head, headstone and then they'd, they'd, they'd dug up all the stuff around it, you'd be shocked, wouldn't you? You sort of get a little bit of an idea of some of the stuff that's going through Mary's mind. They've taken away my Lord and I don't know where to put him. She's saddened. She's confused. But things are just about to get even weirder for poor Mary Magdalene. Because now she turns around and she's another bloke, another guy she doesn't recognise, verse 14. Um, Hang on. Uh, I think I've got... She turns around in verse 14 and she reads here, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognise him. It's none other than Jesus himself in his resurrection body. It's the same Jesus, but something very, very different. Mary doesn't recognise Jesus. It's funny, isn't it? She was only with him three days earlier, but she doesn't recognise him. And as he stands there with her, he asked a very similar question that the angels said to her. She, Jesus says to her, Dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? <laughs> if I was Mary, I'd say, why do people keep asking me that question? You know, well, why am I crying? Is it not obvious? These here are the first words that Jesus says after his resurrection. He says to her, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? 
Now, we also can't work out exactly what Jesus' tone of voice was. But I think it's right to say that just like the angels, he's also quizzing Mary to find out why she's upset when she should be joyful. But it's the second part of the question that I think shows that why, is that why that's the case. Because when Jesus says, who are you looking for? It's almost as though that she's challenging the whole, he's challenging the whole way that Mary sees his ministry. Jesus challenges Mary's misunderstanding. You see, if Mary expected that Jesus' body would stay dead in that tomb till it decomposed, then maybe Mary misunderstood the main, per, main point of Jesus' life and death. If she expected him to stay dead, then maybe she didn't understand that the death and resurrection of Jesus was actually the pinnacle of his whole ministry, not a tragedy of history. Because if she thought that the most important part of his mission was what happened before his death, then maybe she thought he was really just a great teacher or, or maybe a great healer or a great exorcist or a great philosopher or a great prophet. But if she thought that Jesus came only for what he did before he died, then she would have misunderstood the biggest problem facing humanity. Right now, we are praying for a cure to COVID-19. I read this morning that Professor Sarah Gilbert from Oxford University told the Times that she was, quote, 80% confident that a vaccine could be ready by September. That's good news, isn't it? That's what we've been praying for, isn't it? And if it works, then we can get it, and we can get it, you know, produced fast enough. Then things can start to become normal again by Christmas. Well, sort of, kind of, maybe a new norm. But then as this virus is cured, it's still going to leave us with a far greater medical problem. And that is the problem of death. This is why the empty tomb is such great news. This is why Jesus rightly asks Mary... Who are you looking for? After all, it's not bad news that Jesus' body is missing from the tomb. And that's because the empty tomb shows that Jesus is alive. A risen Christ means a cure to death. A risen Christ means hope beyond the grave. A risen Christ means certainty for eternity. And that's why Mary should be celebrating not crying. She should see the empty tomb and go, yes! But instead she's like, no! And so she still believes that Jesus' body has been stolen. And so in verse 15, she says to Jesus, whom she thinks is the gardener, she says, so if you've taken him away, can you tell me where you put him and I will go and get him? Mary still thinks that Jesus is dead. But with one word, her whole world will be turned upside down. Because in verse 16, we read that Jesus simply said to her, Mary. You 
Is there anything more beautiful than the creator of the universe calling your name? Is there anything more beautiful than being personally known by the one who is Lord over the universe? And so as the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name, Jesus tenderly speaks a word of comfort and a word of assurance. And he says, Mary, the one word that turned her life around, Mary. In response, Mary says one word. And she says, Rabbinai, which just means my teacher. It's beautiful, isn't it? He says, Mary, and she goes, Ah, my teacher. And right at that moment, she knows that he is alive. And she knows that as the one who is alive, he has conquered death. And because of that, she knows that everything has changed not only in the world, but in her life as well. Does Jesus know your name? Is he your shepherd? Is he your teacher? Are you his disciple? You know, if you've never decided to become a follower of Jesus then this surely must be the Easter to make that choice. If you've never decided to truly follow Jesus, this must be the Easter in which you enjoy a fresh start in your life by believing in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This must surely be the Easter to personally experience the comfort that knows that comes from knowing your Creator And having him know you by name. This is the Easter to follow Jesus. This is the Easter to follow Jesus. Writing in the Australian newspaper yesterday, Peter Van Onselen said that, quote, Australians need to brace for the reality that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better when it comes to the coronavirus crisis. Based on current statistics in Australia, he points out that, quote, if one million people contracted, best case on the current mortality rate is 8,000 souls vanish. And he says that, quote, herd immunity requires at least 60% of the population contracting the virus. That's 15 million Australians. Do the maths, end quote. Well, I did the maths. 15 times 8,000 is 120,000 deaths in Australia. Maybe he's exaggerating. Maybe the cure is found much sooner. But maybe, more than likely, many more people are going to die in Australia from COVID-19 before Christmas. And that's why... This is the Easter to follow Jesus. You don't know if you will inhale a droplet of COVID-19. 
and find yourself in a hospital on a ventilator fighting for your life and perhaps drawing your final breath if that's going to happen you've got to know Jesus and it's got to be now I'm not trying to alarm you I think the media is doing a good enough job of that for us but I want this to be the day when you come to Christ to do this I'm going to invite you to say aloud this short prayer I'll put the words up here on the screen first it says just let me read it to you first so you know what I'm going to invite you to do it says dear God and it says sorry thank you thank you and then please it says sorry that I have ignored and rejected you Then it says, thank you that Jesus died to bring me forgiveness. That's what happened on Good Friday, isn't it? Then it says, thank you that Jesus rose to bring me eternal life. That's what we remember on Easter Day. And then it asks, it makes a simple request of Jesus. It says, please help me to follow Jesus all my days. Amen. This is the day for you to come to Christ. If you've already come to Christ, then just rejoice in your salvation. Know your certainty. Have the joy of knowing that you need not fear death. But if you haven't yet, I urge you to do it now. Do it right now. I'm going to read one line at a time, then I'm going to leave you a gap about the same length. And I want you to say it out loud. I don't know where you're sitting now. You might be sitting in your lounge room. You might be sitting in bed reading this now or later on in the recording. You might be anywhere really, but why don't you say it out loud? Say it to God and come across the line and have Jesus as your Lord and Jesus will know your name. Let's pray. Dear God, sorry that I have ignored and rejected you Thank you that Jesus died to bring me forgiveness. Thank you that Jesus rose to bring me eternal life. Please help me to follow Jesus all my days. Amen. When Jesus said Mary's name she found comfort in her Lord and if you have said that prayer to Jesus he calls you by name and that's great comfort this is the powerful hope of Easter this is the comfort that comes from Christ this is how we know Jesus who is strong and kind.